Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Today, we're talking about something that I think is frequently misunderstood. Yes. Um, and before we get into it, we did want to say that this is, we're giving it the uh, not safe for work stamp. Yes. Perhaps. Yes. So that means don't blast it on your computer while you're trying to look up the email Bob about the long email he sent you. What did Bob do to you, Samantha? And why, Bob? Why? (laughs) Unless you're trying to get fired or leave on an epic note. And just blast it? Actually, they should wait to blast it on the interviews when they get more detail on what they like. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, we might be building it up more than it is. <laughs> um, but it's, it's just so interesting. It is. It is. Um, and it is one of those things that I think has been seen as taboo. But we're talking about BDSM and the world of bondage. And kink. And kink. And we were fortunate enough, or really you, yeah. you were the one who did the legwork on this, and we found people to who are, who are willing to speak with right. us about it. Who were actually kind of excited, uh, I think, to speak with us because they wanted to break that stereotype, that stigma that comes with what bondage means, what kink means, and women in that world, mm-hmm. or those who identify as female in that world. And I, it was really kind of beautiful mm-hmm. to hear everything they said. Like, I was, I, I don't know about you, I learned a lot. Oh, yes, I did. But um, just, it was fascinating because this world is seemingly better on track on some things when it comes to sexuality than the heteronormative ideas or the normative ideas of what sex is. Right. And we're going to talk about some of that stuff for sure. And, and they, they speak to some of those things in, in the uh, interviews that we did. But before we get into those interviews, we, we did want to do kind of an overview. Right. Numbers are a bit difficult to come by (laughs) from this world. A study out of Australia found that over a year period, 1.8% of sexually active people, 2.2% of men, and 1.3% of women were involved in BDSM, and that the numbers were higher among the LGBTQ plus community. A 2005 study suggests that Americans might be more into BDSM than the rest of the world. 36% of adults reported using blindfolds, masks, and bondage during sex. The worldwide number is thought to be around 20%. That's interesting because when I was researching some things, the whole statistics of, I guess, sex toys or Mm -hmm. um, toys used in bondage or BDSM in the bedroom alone, America was ranked as one of the higher ones in using these things as well. So is it just because we're maybe more open? Oh, I don't think that's what it no? is. I don't think so either, but uh, <laughs> I think that's fascinating, especially when you think of European ideas. Maybe that's just a stereotype. That, that's true. That's true. Um, and maybe we should take a step back because I feel like most people know what BDSM right. is, but I, I bet a lot of people hear that and what they think of is Fifty Shades of Grey, right. which did do a lot to bring it into our cultural mainstream, even right. if a lot of it was incorrect, mm-hmm. um, or just like whips and leather. Right. And, so BDSM means bondage and discipline, dominance and submission, and sadism and masochism. And there's a whole lot of stuff in there. We got so much out of these interviews right. that we are going to split it probably into two. Um, but just to, <laughs> just in case, like, you, you've only got kind of a vague idea. Right. And we are going to go into, well, not us specifically, but people that we interviewed will go into, they'll break that down more for exactly. you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. A 1990 study from the Kinsey Institute found that 5 to 10% of Americans regularly engage in S&M. 
um, which I always did that Rihanna song immediately. I know. Well, when you said uh, whips, yeah. whips and chains and mm-hmm. stuff like that, isn't that what they, isn't that in that song? I remember, actually, that song was huge when I first got this job, and I, I remember listening to it on MARTA, which is our public transport, <laughs> every day. I'm not going to lie. I'm really surprised that you listened to that. Sometimes I just get, it's like— It's so pop culture. is pop. I know. I, I would not imagine. Well, well as a runner— um, Oh, yes, yes. You need your beats per minute, yep. and certain yep. songs um, hit that beat per minute, and that's how I know them generally, <laughs> the yeah, popular now, ones. Now I'm thinking that through, I'm like, Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I found this interesting. A 1953 study found that 55% of women and 50% of men like being bitten. A 1999 study found that 65% of university students fantasized about being tied up. One study found that less than 10% of women like to dominate. Mm. And there is a popular misconception that submissives are people who like to be the submissive one in this kind of dynamic, this power dynamic are weak or have low self-esteem in real life. But in actuality, most bottoms or submissives have a lot of power and want to take on the role, a role different than every day. Relinquishing control when you're a control freak can be a relief, um, something like that. But right. from the people we talk to, definitely no, not always exactly. the case. Exactly, and, and we even talked with a couple of black women who are in that community and they even talk about the fact that it comes with a stigma for them as well. If they say submissive, they talk about the language in itself and the words in itself mm-hmm. and how it kind of disrupts their mindsets, even though it right. shouldn't. And, and you'll hear that more in the interview, and I found that fascinating. But it, it does. It comes with this whole connotation. And again, we're going to talk a little more. I found some research about that as well. There's a lot of assumptions out there that submission is kind of, again, the weaker, the dominant, right. and that this is women. In general. Yeah. Yeah. And I always have to relate back to fan fiction. And I even brought this up embarrassingly during the interview. But people in the fan fiction world know that this is a very common, like you'll see Dom sub. Mm -hmm. um, And usually, and you can find our, the epic piece we did on fan fiction to learn more about this. But most of the, well, not, I don't know if I want to say most, but a lot of the couples, even though they're written by female writers or gender non-conforming writers um, are male-male. And the, yeah. Two, sorry, male-male? Male-male, <laughs> two men. Um, and usually the submissive one is understood to be the weaker one. Right. And it is, I mean, I love fan fiction, but there are, you can see a lot of toxic things play out or just things that I think people have internalized and don't realize they've internalized. Right. So we're, yeah, for sure going to bring that back up into the interviews. The percentage of folks fantasizing about something that would fall under the BDSM umbrella from Psychology Today is about 64.6% of women and 53.3% of men that reported fantasies about being dominated sexually. And 46.7% of women and 59.6% of men reported fantasies about dominating someone sexually. All right, actually, again, I think I just hit on the fact that when I was researching it, there's this assumption that women want to be taken. I guess that's the best word I can give. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that popped up, and I had no idea when at first when I was reading through it what kind of article it was, the site had some interesting and off-the-mark ideas. I don't know how else to say that, which I think is part of the whole pickup artist. This site, I think, has that, that kind, kind of, kind of like, yeah, that kind of leaning. Yeah. I mean, which, while I was reading it, an advertisement popped up offering to teach me the key of getting women to flood my bedroom. What's the key? 
I don't know. I, I didn't, didn't click, click on it. I'm not going to click that, on no, that. No, that was I, very that was smart. You shouldn't have clicked on it. <laughs> because I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh, okay, now this, this column is making a lot more sense with uh, that advertisement itself. Yeah. But in which the writer asserts once again that women all want to be dominated. And he, he used the word all. Mm-hmm. And all are submissive. And also, as we would say, it's incorrect. The whole idea of Madonna and whore persona is real and it's again, taken on by every woman, I guess. Yeah. Um, it even continues with, again, all the misogynistic idea that men are no longer men, as he's saying it today. Oh, and yeah. That's been, they're being demasc- emasculated. Mm-hmm. And again, he says this, and must reprogram their minds to get what they want and become, quote-unquote, a real man. Ooh. Because, again, apparently all women just want to be dominated. And he... <laughs> He even mentions his relationship with conservative women, religious women, mm-hmm. and how he's like, yeah, they're, they're freaks, essentially is what he's saying in the bed. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just like, oh, God, why am I reading this? I think every few words I was cursing mm-hmm. at, the, at the column. But again, this is one of the first, actually, it's one of the first things that popped up when I was searching and researching. And I was like, oh, I hate that. Yeah, I, I encounter that a lot. Yeah. Also, we had a, a fun off-mic conversation about the time my mom gave me that book when good girls go bad. <laughs> right. And I'm still trying to figure out if it was a joke. Right. Uh, yeah, and the, he actually highlights that as well. I'm not going to name off the site or yeah. um, or the author, but he, he says it as well as, you know, good girls actually want to be bad girls, and this is how you turn them. Oh, my goodness. Um, well, um Going back to some <laughs> more research. You don't you don't like my research? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's important point to touch on how Also, yeah, be we, careful what you read when you're researching these things. Yes, and that we heard that from the <laughs> right, people we interviewed. Repeatedly. Yes, uh, about like the correct search terms to use. Harvard University hosts a group for students interested in consensual S and M. So as of the university? I believe so. Actual, like oh, it's that's a awesome. yeah. So, yeah, as I was researching more, um, according to, and I'm going to talk a little more about kink, the kink community, mm-hmm. as with the BDSM as well, because this is kind of an overarching topic and overarching research, I guess. Um, and according to the study titled Sensual, Erotic, and Sexual Behaviors of Women from the Kink Community, and it's written by Jennifer Eve Rohar, because I it, she just had a lot, like, this was a lot of content. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, I want, I want to see what's going on. So if y'all look that up, you can see that for yourself. So in 1886, Richard von Kraft Ebing, I believe that's right, an early quote-unquote sexologist, I think he was one of those with Freud, mm-hmm. um, published Psychopathia Sexualis with a special reference to the antipathic sexual instinct, a medico-forensic study, I'm guessing this is Spanish, which was known as an encyclopedia of sexual perversion. Now, this is not what I'm calling it. This is what it's stated to be. So they looked a lot about like criminal behavior or... Right perverse behavior, as mm-hmm. it said, again, 1886. Right. So he studied more than 200 clinical cases of unconventional sexual behavior. Again, remember, 1886. This book, of course, uh, regarded sex at, only as for reproduction, and he focused normal sex, quote-unquote, uh, like the penis-vagina, yeah. essentially, and that that was the normal behavior, and this is, a, everything else is uh, a perversion, I guess, or uh, as he said, unconventional sexual behaviors. Mm -hmm. Almost all of these clinical cases were based on male clients. And apparently, uh, Von Kraft-Ebing documented only two cases of female sadism and only two cases of female masochism. So this is a really small number, obviously. 
and acknowledged that he had, quote-unquote, thus far not succeeded in obtaining facts with regards to pathological fetishism in women. And both of them contended that masochism was the natural state for women, so it was impossible to study female sexual masochism. Now that I think about it, that's weird. In 1994, uh, a group attempted to, again, research the sadomasochistically oriented women. They only found 34 participants that fit their criteria, so they had a specific mode. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it excluded any sex workers as well as, um, I think, some criminal behavior, essentially. But due to this, it was assumed that very few women participated in kink and that research is slowly coming to understand that the number of women and those who identify as female actually enjoy and enthusiastically participate in the kink and BDSM world. Also, it was pointed out that many people may not realize that the thing they enjoyed are actually categorized as kink or BDSM. And I think that's very true for many people. And, and one of our interviewers talked about that. She's just like, oh, this actually exactly what I like. I didn't know it was a thing. Yeah. Um, and the article has some interesting theories and lots of like cited research. You should definitely go check it out if you want to kind of see the history of research on it because the whole idea, it was based on do women enjoy this and not necessarily that the numbers were, were correctly saying this small amount. Mm -hmm. It was just they didn't get enough participants, whether it's the stigma of what kink and fetishism and BDSM was or whether it's uh, they were excluding sex workers. And at this point, they definitely brought back the idea, yeah, sex workers can enjoy it as well. And it's not necessarily one excluding the other. Mm -hmm. Also, this is coming from a very gender normative perspective. Yes. Unfortunately, as with most research. Right, right. <laughs> Um, despite a popular narrative otherwise, people who engage in BDSM have been shown to have lower levels of anxiety, depression, PTSD, psychological sadism, psychological masochism, paranoia, and borderline pathology when compared to a normative sample of those that don't engage in BDSM. Because I think it is a popular, people think if you're doing BDSM, something right. is not right in right. your brain or something. There's something Again. kind of... What was it? Uh, what, deviant? Deviant and conversion yeah. type of, like, those titles that were put on way back when. Right. Um, people who engage in BDSM also um, showed higher levels of openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, and subjective well-being, and lower levels of rejection sensitivity and eroticism. That's awesome. Um, research has shown that after a scene in BDSM, um, which is kind of like... Uh, and agreed upon, like negotiated right. is what they frequently said. This is what we're going to do. This right. is the thing. The bottom are the submissive experience both decrease in psychological stress and an increase in physiological stress, which is interesting because it does suggest an altered state of consciousness. Further tests found that bottoms enter a state called transient hypofrontality and tops or dominance enter a state known as flow. Transient hypofrontality comes with sensations of floating, reductions in pain, time distortions, and peace. Flow, on the other hand, is associated with focused attention, optimal performance, and a loss of self-consciousness. Historically, ancient Greek art depicted BDSM in the Kama Sutra circa 300 CE featured erotic spanking. Brothels that specialized in dominating men date back to the 18th century. Point being, this is not a new thing. Right. And overall point being, frequently misunderstood, and I feel like a lot more people participate than most people think. Right. Again, as we were talking about the earlier studies, a lot of people have do not know that it's identified as BDSM mm -hmm. or kink. Which about brings us to our interviews. Right. But first, it brings us to a quick break for a word from our sponsor. 
And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. So I actually was linked with Sammy, whom you're going to hear on the interview. And she's been involved in the Atlanta kink community for a few years now. And with that, we were also able to talk with Lily, Moxie, and Rima. I'm going to say I learned so much from them. It was amazing. So here you go. It's time to learn. Hi, I'm Sammy. Um, Do you want me to say something about (laughs) who I am? (laughs) You can say whatever you want, Sammy. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, who, who are you? Oh, that's, that's a big loaded that's a, question, that's right? That's a big question, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I am here today because um, I'm involved in the kink community, and um, I'm here to share my story a little bit. Um, and I'm Lily, and I think kind of the reason I'm here is probably uh, because I am also a part of the local kink community and also the regional and national kink community. I have a, a lot of different kink identities that also include uh, power exchange enthusiasm and some fetishism around bondage and some uh, maybe some interesting things that are not so common. I am Moxie. I am um, a budding and exciting or like excited sexual advocate, Um, also inclusive um, LGBTQ um, like feminist. And I'm excited to be here today to talk to you guys about one of my favorite topics of all time. So my name is Rima. Um, How I got involved. Right. Well, as my mom likes to tell all my girlfriends, she used to walk around the house and just tie everything up and tie her sisters up. My sisters will tell you, where's the shoestring? It's wrapped around one of my sisters. <laughs> um, so bondage has always been... <laughs> That's an amazing story. That's a good one. Has always been there. And I just like tying people up. So Beating people, causing pain. That's my... Ugh. So are you a top or a, or, a, or a dumb or a sub? Are you top or bottom? I'm a dumb. So you said your mom would say that? Does your mom know that you're a part of this kink world? Because you were just very open about that. (laughs) So when I started ordering rope, I initially had it going to her house. And she was like, why do you keep ordering so much rope? And I stopped. I was like, do you really want to know? And she was like, my God. (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, my kids are in such interesting things. She was like, I don't want to know. And I was just like, okay. She was like, what you doing? I said, remember that thing you said you didn't want to know? She was like, oh, okay, I'll talk to you later. (laughs) I'm just like, cool. (laughs) (laughs) So your mom kind of has an idea. Yeah. But you're not not hiding anything. Yeah, no, no. I love that. You want to know, I'll tell you. I love it. So I met Sammy. Through a friend of ours, uh, we had we were having a conversation about how uh, I was part of this podcast now, and we wanted to jump into conversations about women and sexuality, and not only that, but the ideas that a lot of uh, people don't think in regards to feminism or feminine females or those who identify as females and sex. And one of the things we were talking about, you and I were talking about kink and fetishes and bondage. What does that look like when it comes to a female perspective? Because we often hear this through male perspective or misogynistic ideas uh, where it's very male-controlled, from what I understand, from what I've seen more so than anything else. And you and I are having a conversation. What does this look like when it is female-driven or and or um, you know something that is enjoyed by women and how do we look at it and talk about it and let's explore this idea of women enjoying sex and women enjoying kink. Whoa! I know, right? Let's go ahead and start off with, can you guys give us some terms or specific words or definitions to some of the things that you may say that we might not understand or use in everyday conversation? Because you were talking about the um, power 
all of that, can you kind of define what some of these may be? Like, I know we'll be using DOM, submissive, and all of those. If you can give us some little baseline words. Sure. Um, so I think it's important to express first and foremost that a lot of people in the community will use these words differently than I might. Right. Um, so these are just how I might use these definitions. Um and when you think of BDSM, it's an acronym that people can use. Like, there are four different ways to even define that one acronym. Okay. So just know that there's a lot of debate around this. Um, there, it's like any sort of subculture. There's a ton of people who have differing opinions. <laughs> um, and, but in general, it kind of encompasses this idea. And what I was speaking about when I said power exchange is this idea of, like, very intentionally making a decision around one party having power or authority over the other. And that can be in, like, a very discreet way. So, like, over the course of one interaction, so, like, a scene or play um, that could be an hour or one day or one evening, or over the course of an entire relationship that could be a lifelong relationship, right? So power exchange can occur in a lot of different contexts. It can occur at a lot of different intensity levels. Um, and it can be defined by a lot of different sort of behaviors. Um, but when I say power exchange, I generally mean a consensual, informed, intentional decision by two parties to give one party a leadership role and authority over the other party. So when I say that I'm enthusiastic about power exchange, I both mean in discrete ways like in interactions, but also um, I actively pursue those types of relationships as well. Um, so that's like kind of the main way that my personal kink manifests, mm -hmm. and it looks different with different people and in different interactions, um, but that would be like the primary way of defining uh, that for me. And then also you have something like SM, which is just sadomasochism. So you have uh, sadism and masochism, which is kind of more the, it's more about the actions and the things that are really occurring between two people. So that's more about sensation. It's more about um, pain and experiences of pain and sensation. So it's a little bit different. It's more about the actual physical um, and sometimes emotional experiences. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you want to add to that. <laughs> the other terms that we might use when talking about rope specifically is probably tops and bottoms um, or rigor. Um, the rigor and, or top is the person who's doing the tying, um, and the bottom is the person who's being tied. And shibari is uh, what the whole process of tying in the kink yeah. world. We use a lot of Japanese words badly in the United <laughs> States. Uh, when it comes to rope bondage, we steal words and use them poorly. So we might use words like shibari or kimbaku to describe things that, uh, in ways that most Japanese people would not, but mm -hmm. we, we do it anyway um, yeah. because we've taken a lot of inspiration from uh, Japanese bondage culture. Right. Um, um, but I think other than that, if we say something, like uh, Lily mentioned a scene, that's what we call it if uh, it's a pre-negotiated interaction. Um, and like Lily said, they can be 10 minutes or they can be 10 days. Like it, it just it depends on what's negotiated. And, and again, um, my partner could tell you the history of it way better than I could. Right. He, uh, he is very into um, the history of rope. Um, but it is a common misconception that it comes from Japanese torture, and it's like this ancient practice um, when in actuality it seems like it—and correct me if I'm wrong, Lily, you probably know this better than I do as well—it um, kind of emerged in like the 60s, right? Yeah, so basically post-World War II, when most people were starting to be more creative with their sexuality in the West and in the East, was mm -hmm. when Bondo started to become part of our sexual vernacular. But, like, I think there is still some inspiration from ancient times when we look at, like, art and things like that. And But there are a lot of folks in the... Uh, in the modern bondage community who want to talk about how there's, like, this very distinctive um, timeline from maybe, like, 
ancient um, Eastern times, and we mostly just think that's not true. That's a red flag to me. If I hear a lot of people talking about how what they're doing is like very traditional, we're just making this stuff up, really. But like again, like any subculture, and I would say specifically this uh, Eastern style of bondage is a subculture of a subculture of a subculture. Um, there's elitism and like people always trying to say they're doing it a more authentic or traditional way than other people. So you have these hierarchies that form. So are safe words an actual thing, or is that more of a Safe joke. words are so misunderstood. Yeah, they're so, they're <laughs> so, so misunderstood. I could, oh man, safe words. Okay, so, so here's the thing. If I, if, I am, if I am doing BDSM with a person and they say, hey, could you stop doing that? I'm just going to stop doing that. Right. Okay? Unless I have very specifically negotiated for the, when they say stop doing that, for it not to mean stop doing that. Okay, this is called consensual non-consent. It's a very specific type of play. It can also be a type of relationship. It's very specific. Right. Unless you're doing that kind of play, you don't need a safe word. Right. This is my opinion. There are people who argue, argue with me. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. But like, if I am, for instance, doing a rope scene with Sammy, and she says, hey, you're f***ing up my right arm. Can you fix it? Or, hey, you are hurting my elbow. Can you please move that rope two inches up my elbow? I'll say, absolutely, I will. Let me fix that for you so we can keep doing this thing that we both enjoy. Right. She doesn't need a safe word to communicate right. that to me. <laughs> and in fact, her saying watermelon doesn't actually communicate any of the things that she needs to communicate to me. And so I think that safe words are very, very misunderstood. Right. And they are useful if you are in a CNC scene, consensual non-consent, where you have decided, I want to scream no, I want to scream stop, I want to be at the top of my lungs as a screaming part of the no, play, no, 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 stop. As a part of the play. But yeah. I don't want you to listen to me. Right, okay. I did have a situation where I was playing with someone who I had not played with before, and I was hurting them, and they started screaming no and stop, and so I stopped. And they were like, oh, I didn't mean it. And I was uh, like, we didn't negotiate that, so right. I'm stopping right. now. So now I have to change my safe word from watermelon. It's a false okay. sense of security. If someone's right. going to ignore your please stop doing that, they're right. going to ignore your safe word too. Right. Also, See, So I think it creates a false sense of security. Right. And I wondered if that was just like a more of a stereotype. Because yeah, like it is kind of a joke thing. I do think that there is a space for yellow and um, an <laughs> impact. Because yeah. uh, that— What does yellow, yellow mean? Yellow, like, <laughs> a, a common— safe like phrase is either yellow or red oh. and yellow is like okay that's not too much but you might be being close to too much so just keep that in mind right um and that's especially if you're in a like rough impact scene or something like that it, it there's less communication than when you're in rope yeah. and, for me no it's true right. i'm not saying never you say right there right. is a time and a place right but so, it's and kind some of people overused. don't want to say sentences right, right. Like, like they don't want to do that sometimes easier to be like okay yellow but then be like Okay, so slow it down a little bit, but keep going. Right. That's great. Um, <laughs> right. So very good point. Um, and then, yeah, I I do think that also with especially like rough impact scenes, there's a, a place for red too, or whatever safe word you've. I don't I don't see a reason to not have it just be yellow and red, but um, <laughs> if I do think that there's a place for red because you can accidentally hurt someone if you're like wrestling around with them. Um, in a way that, like, you need them to stop touching you immediately. And if you say, like, red and you know that, then, like, they'll stop touching you immediately. Like, if you think you've pulled something out of socket or something like that, you right. know. Um, so I do think that in other types of play, there's, there is a, a yeah. place for those. There right. is another is a con, uh, community thing where like if you're in a in a setting where you're in public, right, right. and someone screams red across the room, 
everyone knows what that means. Right. So mm-hmm. that is kind of a nice thing about it, too. And and so I didn't mean to dismiss safe words like right. as, like, a useless thing. Right. They're just misunderstood. Right. right. So, like, if I am in a public play space and I hear someone screaming right across the room, I'm, I'm going to be like, whoa, what's going on? Right. And everyone in that room that's monitoring the safety of that environment is going to be like, right. whoa, what's going on? Yeah. Okay, okay, that makes a lot of sense. So... That being said, as someone who doesn't I have no idea mm-hmm. and I'm learning so much and I'm very, very happy about it. But like, one, do you engage with, in play, mm-hmm. with partners? Is it usually that it happens um, over a lot of, uh, like, sessions time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or is it kind of like one-offs or is it a mix of both, which I am assuming. But yeah. Um, and also... Um, is sex always involved, or is it sometimes? Oh my gosh, I love this question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love this question for several reasons, and I feel if I don't address something that you said, please let me know. I'm a talker, uh, so first, sex is not always involved um, with the play that I do. I do know that there are people that sex and kink are very much intertwined. They don't really have a distinction between that. For me, because I think so much of the play that I crave is of control. I'm like, I can have control over you by just telling you you can't use the restroom. Like, I don't need to touch you. We don't need to engage in anything. And that's fine for me. Like, yes, it will also turn me on, but it's not something that I'm, that will always do that. It's just kind of like, I love that this person is letting me tell them what to do. And that's awesome. And then there are also times when I'm just like, oh, that person is letting me tell them what to do. (laughs) This is awesome. (laughs) Um, And I think that it's just, it depends on the person. It's just really being like, we've been really clear about these boundaries. And then even if I have been really clear, I have to have a, like, beyond reasonable doubt feel that you are going to respect that when I don't have that agency because of the situation that I am in. And I don't feel that with a lot of men, for Mm -hmm. one. And so I don't play with men particularly um, often, if at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I do play with men, they are bottoms for me um, because I trust myself to respect their consent. So I like primal, so I like oh, to like okay. wrestle and get a little rough. Like you could probably knee me, roll up on me, but like taking a paddle or yeah. taking your hand across my butt, we probably going to fight. <laughs> and not like the good, pleasurable fight, like I'm really okay. trying to hurt you. Okay, okay. <laughs> so you just said the word primal. Is that actually a term that is yes. used? So what does that mean? Because I haven't heard that yet. Um, frequently it's turned with like a connection with the animal. That's not how I find it. It's more just going down to like that basic instinct of like using your body to interact with someone else, which is probably all of kink, I suppose. Um, but for me, it's that... I like to use my hands and my mouth a lot. So biting, scratching, licking. I like to use my actual strength to, like, lift people, and I do it in rope, too, like tossing. It makes me feel powerful and in control. Okay. And then, because you see I'm learning all these terms. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm working these out now. (laughs) Um, And then would you say that, because wrestling was in its own realm of that? Yeah, because there's no... There are top and bottoms in primal, but mm-hmm. it's not as defined. Okay. Right. Um, because we could be wrestling and I can be topped. Like if someone gets me down on my back, I'm literally being topped. Right. Um, 
And that's okay. That's fine. Of mm-hmm. course, we still have negotiations beforehand. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't really say there's entire roles unless we're doing like a chase and capture. Okay. The, pe- the, the, the people's being chased are bo- usually bottoms or subs. Right. Um, prey. Okay. Um, I'm a predator. Okay. So I will chase you. Okay. I'm trying to capture you. Okay. Yeah. So this is an actual scene that you would play out. Oh, this, yes. This chase, because this is a new one as well. You're bringing some it's new terms to us. New scene. <laughs> every day, chasing around the house. <laughs> is there any other stuff that you um, enjoy as well? Because you seem to have a um, wide variety. <laughs> I like splashing. What is that? Um, it's also known as like messy food play. Oh. We have some more of our interview interviews, I should say. Yeah, it was several interviews. We gotta get the S in there. Yeah. Uh, But first, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Let's get back into these interviews. Yeah. Can you tell us how you discovered the kink world and how it was something that you decided, yes, this is something that I like, this is what I want to be a part of. Kind of just give us your uh, origin story, essentially. I was never interested in regular pornography. It was not interesting to me, but I definitely, reading erotica as a young person, uh, was drawn to the type of erotica where there were obvious power differentials. Um, So things like where there's like a clear authority figure, like a teacher and a student, or like, you know, things where there's like a martial arts instructor and their student or something like that. Um, and so then you explore online and there are all these like groups online. And But I distinctly remember being like, oh, I don't know that there are real people that do this. Like I can't, you know, I wasn't interested in interacting with real people in that way for a long time. Um, but I never, you know, it's funny how your journey kind of progresses. Like the things that you think you might be interested in are not necessarily how you how you end up falling and what ends up being interesting to you. I certainly never imagined that I would have such a strong focus on this like fairly technical rope bondage stuff that I spend so much of my time doing. Um, I the first time I saw someone doing complex rope suspension, I was like, what is the point of that? Like, why would you even bother with that? And now I spend. I mean, it's my primary hobby, and I spend hours every week pursuing it. So, who knows? I don't think I was ever distinctly aware that I was into any sort of um, BDSM until after I realized I was into it. And then I was like, oh, my gosh, I've been into this my whole life. Like, it was, yeah. it was one of those things I was like, oh, yeah, all of these things throughout my life make sense now. Like, um, But I was, you know, doing the single thing and on dating apps, and I went out with this guy who— was like, so I'm into BDSM and, you know, I identify as a dominant and I don't know if that freaks you out, but if you want to try some stuff with me, like, that'd be cool. And I decided to give it a shot. We went on a few dates. I was intrigued by some of this stuff, but then I kind of was like, I think you're also just a jerk. Um, (laughs) But you're pretending, you're getting your jerkery out by being like, oh, I'm a dom. Um, So I was like, I'm going to break up with you, but now I am fully into whatever this other stuff might be. So how do I find that? Uh, so I did some Googling. I found FetLife, which is a social media platform for kink, kinky people. Um, and I started reaching out to people in Atlanta and was like, hey, I'm new and you seem like a real person because you have, you know, friends and you go to community events in Atlanta and you're parts of these groups. And so I like... 
I tried very carefully as a single woman to identify um, people that seemed safe and um, I could get references from before I like actually went out and met them. So I didn't get involved in the BDSM or kink scene until maybe like October of last year. So I'm a little baby newbie kink. um, (laughs) And I was dating a woman at the time who went to the club and was like, I had this life-changing experience at this kink club and you should go. And I was like, okay, cool, let's go together. And she's like, no, I'm not going to be here for two months, but you should go by yourself. (laughs) And I was like, okay, cool, I guess that's fine. Um, And so I went on the Queer Women in Kink night, which was really great. And I think the best way to get introduced as a queer woman myself Um, And I saw somebody tying rope for the first time. And I was entranced. Like, I just could not take my eyes off of her. And I sat there the whole night. um, And then, like, a sheepish little, like, kid, I went up to her and I was just like, I think you're amazing. And I don't know what you call what you're doing, but I want to be able to do it. And I want to do it real well. Um, And she's like, oh, my God, you're so sweet. This is blah, blah, blah. This is how you get involved. And so from there, it's just kind of been a snowball avalanche of getting into the kink world. I sought out um, some other riggers or rope tops um, to see, like, what they did and how they got into, um, I guess, their particular kink and or proclivity for rope and then just kind of, like, watched five hours of YouTube videos every day and bought some rope and started tying myself. Um, And then as I got more involved in the kink community, I also developed an affinity for impact, um, which is like basically getting hit or hitting other people with all sorts of implements. So like wooden implements, like a wooden spoon or something, fiberglass, acrylic, Um, also caning, which is apparently like an old school form of punishment in like boarding schools, private schools. Mm -hmm. And like as I got older, I was just like, this doesn't hurt. Like this is actually kind of like, ooh, stingy. Like, okay, whatever. (laughs) Um, And then revisited it at the club and I was like, oh no, I really like this. And I also really want to do this to somebody else. Um, And then also um, I consider myself a dominant, which means that I like to be the person that does things to people. Um, I have, I've been called a control freak and I would also (laughs) um, align with that term as well. And so having somebody relinquish that control to me is also a really big thing for me. Um, And I thought all of it was weird at first um, in my own like vanilla relationships. And then I found the kink club and people were like, this is our normal. Like the vanilla world is like our our like our Superman outfit. Like Clark <laughs> Kent is kink and then like, I don't know, yeah, Superman is the vanilla stuff. So I think that's a little bit. I'll probably expand upon other things that I'm like interested in. But yeah. yeah okay. So your main you're dominant yes. in the impact world as dominant. well as the are you the top? Because we learned these phrases. Yeah. In yeah. the rope world. In the rope world, I would say yes. Okay. Um and like even in my vanilla life, I'm a pretty dominant person. I'm also a voyeur, which means I like watching other people engage in their particular kink. And I, the first time that I went to the club or the first four or five times I went to the club, I just watched. I just watched everybody play and I was like, ooh, yeah, I like some of that or "Mm, definitely not into that. Um, And after their scenes and after I felt like it was an appropriate time, I just went up and asked people questions. I think with the amount of 
tact and common sense that you would approach anybody. Um, I don't know that common sense is a flower that grows often in other people's gardens. But <laughs> <laughs> That's a great metaphor. Yeah. Like and also just to get a little bit more candid, I wanted to be a sex therapist for a really long time. So the fact that kink existed and BDSM existed was never foreign to me. I was just like, oh, other people do that, you know? Um, and I think the more that I got to know people in the community and be like, oh, you also have this regular job and this is something that you do on the side um, was something that I think made it safer for me to explore and to accept. Um, And then just talking to people at those munches about how it does or does not permeate their life or how they create those boundaries was really big for me. And then participating, like really just going in, asking somebody to be like, hey, I've never tried this. Would you mind giving me an introduction? Um, and going from there and then doing more research, talking to more people, going to the club and to events, and finally plucking up the courage to ask somebody that knew better um, how I could get into it or if they'd be willing to talk to me and or let me participate in a scene with them. So how did you get into this world, this primal kink world? Um, I want to use that word. It's been a few years, maybe two or three Anyway, so I was dating this girl, mm-hmm. and she had showed me out, and I was like, ooh, I like this. <laughs> then she was telling me about an expo, like, with vloggers and using paddles, and I was like, oh, that, sh- that sounds cool. Okay, so then I started talking about their therapists about it, and I was like, I really, I think I enjoy hurting people because this choking thing and tying people, like, just normal bed restraints is really speaking to me. Um I said, ain't nothing wrong with me, is it? <laughs> <laughs> like, she was like, oh, that's BDSM. I'm going to refer you to a colleague who is a kink specialist. And she was like, it's a whole world. I was like, what? So she sent me to uh, Fat Life, and I started scrolling. I was like, oh, this is my life. <laughs> so I just started um, going to events and talking okay. to people. And I was like, okay. I think that any any single woman who's in the dating world right now understands safety. Like, right. you're going to meet strangers from the internet, and it's normal. It's part of dating apps. It's part of your life. You're going to meet strangers from the internet that want to hurt you and tie you up, and you're like, cool, I'm into that too, but now it's really, like, you need to be sure you're being safe. So I had safety calls with friends. Um, you know, there's different ways you can go about that. There's there's different sort of stop gaps you can put in, but you can never be 100% safe. And I would add to um, just advice that I t- tend to give people around this stuff is just, you know, uh, try to be patient with yourself. You know, oftentimes when you discover a new avenue of your sexuality, it can be so exciting. Like I know many people who sex wasn't interesting to until they discovered kink. And women who were just like, I didn't understand what the big deal was about. And I don't know. I never I never enjoyed it once until I had discovered kink, right? Mm-hmm. And so then you realize it and you're like, oh, this is really exciting. <laughs> uh-huh. And so that level of energy does encourage sometimes people to make bad decisions. And so mm-hmm. um, I always try to um, give people the advice of like, take your time, build a network of friendships first. Um, try to really ingrain yourself in the community in a way that just like you would make friends in any other community, you know, build some relationships with people who don't want to have sex with you. Mm-hmm. Build some relationships with people who have other longstanding relationships and seem like they have been around for a while. You know, um, I marched into the BDSM club the first night and stood there with my hands on my hips and said, who's going to do BDSM to me? You know, and like that was <laughs> that was not the best, right? I met someone who seemed like they knew what they were doing and like three weeks later was like, wow, that was a terrible idea. But like, People go through this thing and we, they call it frenzy a lot of the time when they're oh, yeah, first in yeah. the community where 
Um, they just want to try all the things really fast. And um, there are some, like, truly tragic, traumatic outcomes from that sort of behavior. And I think both of us were fairly fortunate in that we didn't have any of those things. But, like, I cannot tell you how many young women enter into this community and you see them three or four times and you never see them again. And you don't know. You just don't know what happened. Yeah. And it's probably horrible. And the things that you do here are not good. So, I mean, like, just like any other subculture, um, there are bad actors and there are predators. Um, right. There are some really amazing people, too, though, but you have to evaluate that and you have to be cautious and you have to use your brain like you would in, in any other environment. Mm -hmm. Right. And maybe more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I think that's a great um, segue. You already gave some examples on how to make it a safe practice. Would there be any other things to a new person that comes in and, and who are really, really excited and wants to try something new, how to really... Um, have it almost like a checklist. Would you tell them how to be thorough in understanding what they're coming into? I would say seek education around risk mitigation and negotiation, mm -hmm. um, particularly as it pertains to rope bondage, which is the stuff that uh, we mostly focus on when it comes to play because um, it's an incredibly risky type of play. So it can cause permanent injury, um, and it's, it's very edgy in that there are there are regular and consistent injuries uh, that occur from this type of interaction. So um, we always say, like, know exactly what risks you're taking. There are some books out there. There are people you can talk to. There are really good resources out there to figure out, like, what level of risk are you willing to take in order to have these experiences? Just fi figure out what your risk profile is and know how to communicate that to other people. If you are not willing to incur an injury that could keep you from being able to do your job for six months, there are certain things you do not want to do. Yeah. And you have to know how to say no to that um, and then know how to negotiate for yourself. I was going to say, negotiations are key that I would tell anyone coming into the community. I started negotiating by being like, oh, these are my hard limits. And they, they were silly hard limits that, as a new person, I didn't know. I was like, don't spit in my face. I don't, I don't want that. And otherwise, I'm good to go. But I could take a chainsaw to your neck or something, and right? So, <laughs> and so in one of my early impact scenes, with an, an impact is if you're, like, getting hit with canes and hands and, and other implements. Um, like spanking plus. Spanking plus, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, good description. Good description. So um, one of my early scenes doing that, you know, I said, this is my hard limit. And he was like, well, do you, have you ever done anything like wrestling beforehand, like a takedown scene? And I was like, no, no, that sounds great. I'm interested. So we were trying this takedown scene, and he just sucker punched me in the stomach and knocked the wind out of me completely. And I couldn't breathe, and I was freaking out. And he was like, oh, you didn't tell me I couldn't punch you. That wasn't one of your hard limits. And I was like, I did not know that that was something that needed to be negotiated. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I learned real fast that one of the better ways to negotiate, or in my opinion, my for me, what works better for me is to negotiate inclusively, to so to say, this is allowed, this is allowed, this is allowed, this is allowed. And, like, those are the things that are allowed. Um, and if someone wants to add something in in the middle of the scene, so it, it probably would depend on who the person was. Sometimes I could do in-scene negotiations, and sometimes I would be like, no, you're new, I don't want to do that. Right. Because your mental facilities also can be really impacted during a scene, and you're having endorphins going crazy in your brain, and... Um, you're not quite all the way there. So um, right. it's better to negotiate up front. So is this something that's just spoken or is it actually written out? Different people do it in different ways. I think um, I tend to 
So, I mean, obviously, when you have an established relationship with someone, this changes. You know, I think uh, if if Sammy and I were going to do rope together, I, I would be like, how's your body? Mm-hmm. Everything normal? Let's go. You know, like, that's kind of how that would work. But right. um, in general, I think that it would be more like, um, you know, if it was someone new, I might, like, text message with them for a couple of days. Or, But I usually start with a conversation with, like, so... You know, how do you like to feel in rope? What are what kind of experiences are you interested in having? And you can usually tell from there if there's going to be overlap. Like, I just want to see, like, what's the interest overlap, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I think that's important that people don't always realize is, like, it can still be a good negotiation if, if you determine that we shouldn't do this thing. Right. right. You know, especially when your people are very new and eager. Like, they're just like, oh, well, I'll just do whatever you— But, like, having a bad experience with someone is, like, so much worse than just not doing it, right. you know? Mm-hmm. So I think that's a, a good negotiation point, too. Um, but yeah, so you can negotiate in whatever way works best for you. Sure, I have a friend who does like a thorough checklist with every single person as like a cover their ass sort of methodology. Right. Um, and it's very strange and interesting, but <laughs> it's a little rote for me, but like everyone has their own style. So. Right. I don't mind doing impact with a new person because the worst thing that's happened is they're going to hit me in a place that doesn't feel particularly great. Like it's not, doesn't have the cushion. But with rope, like uh, Lily was saying, you know, you can you can have nerve injury and you can have wrist drop and like lose function of your wrist for an hour or a year. Um, you can have the same thing with your foot. Like there there are true risks to it that are could be life changing. So you know, it, it's I can't stress enough how important it is to go slow and um, make sure that you're you know what you're getting into. I think it's also, like, if we're going to be really honest, I think also just my purview of interacting with other people in sex-adjacent kind of things right. has put my guard up. Um, I'm also a very assertive person, and so I'm not the type of person that's going to let somebody kind of boss me around. Like I said, I'm a control freak. Like, I need to have specific things in place that make me feel comfortable, and then if something uncomfortable was happening, I would have the wherewithal to be like, Actually, I have a picture of your license. I told my boyfriend where I was going to be tonight. He has your address. He knows what your government name is. So if anything <laughs> goes left, just know, like, you will be found out. Like, you'll be found out. Um, and that's not to say that even people that do take those um, measures cannot have those kind of experiences. You know, people who want to hurt people or be awful will be awful. Right. Um, but one of the things that I really appreciated, especially in my first foray into the community was they were like, this particular community and this space is very consent heavy. Mm -hmm. So even if you want a hug from somebody, you need to ask them first because bodily autonomy is also something that they're very big on. It's like if you start a scene and you get uncomfortable and you call red, which is like the universal um, safe word for dungeons, they're like, you stop immediately. There is no like, um, I think she said red, like I'm just going to keep going. It's like if we hear anything, it's done. Right. Um, and I think for a lot of women, learning the fact that they have bodily autonomy and or the right to say no to things is a foreign concept right. um, just because of how people are socialized, um, how women are regarded. Um, and so in this space, I feel empowered as a woman, as a person, and as somebody that um, respects the right that like other people also acknowledge my at, like my agency right. and things that have to do with my body and how I'm interacting with the space. I love that. So the dungeon that I'm referring to is specifically a place that caters to uh, the BDSM and kink lifestyle in which they have implements 
furniture and spaces that are conducive to um, people playing or taking part in a scene. Um, dungeons could also be a space that you create in your own home for that. Right. Um, I'm talking about, a, I think I think the proper term would be social dungeon, where there are areas for people to kind of just like communicate outside of playing. Um, and then there's a big space with some subspaces that have like, I don't know, spanking benches and tables where you can do specific kinks or themed rooms for right. other things. Um, so a dungeon is not, you know, like a bloody, like claw-marked <laughs> wall where like there's bodies hanging from the ceiling, right. but a space where um, kinky people go to engage in kinky things in a safe way. One of the other things that I really love about the dungeon that we're at is that they have education classes at this dungeon. Um, there are different groups that put on education courses. So there was literally like a BDSM 101 class. There was a negotiations class. There was a, um, like, I don't know, a breakup in the poly community. Like, who gets the toys? Who gets the munches? Like, kind of thing, you know? Oh, wow. Um, and so in those places, they give you a lot of good resources and or, like, gestalts for what those things look like. And for negotiation, it really is just kind of a pre-play conversation where the things you talk about are rather salient, but they are also dynamic. So while you play this way the first time, maybe after the scene you debrief and something needs to be changed, um, you record it. So personally for me, when I'm negotiating scenes, I have a little book with the person's like scene name, and then I run through um, any prior injuries that they may have had, places that they do not want to be touched, words or phrases that are triggers for them, um, like what they want out of the situation, what I am willing and not willing to do in that situation, um, and then leave time for them at the end to kind of tell me how they think the scene went, if there were any places where I misstepped or did something that they hadn't um, thought to say before, and then we amend that. And that's more specifically if I think we're going to continue to play together, but also just because I want people to have a chance to say to me in a like a safe way what they did or did not enjoy about our play together, even if it's not going to happen again. Because um, I think that every experience that you have with somebody is a learning experience. And I also want them to have a good opinion of like how seriously I take the fact that they were willing to give me that opportunity, you know? Um, even though they asked me to do something to them, I also feel like it's a point of, not pride, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for is, but the fact that they trusted me enough to put themselves in that vulnerable position right. is something that I need to honor. Um, and I think that that's what most negotiations are about, or at least the crux of them, is right. like, I want to make sure that the things that we agreed upon will make sure that this is a great, like, a good situation or as good as we can make it until we get in and learn each other more. So, yeah. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And those negotiations can change depending on what type of play you're doing as well. They can be more in-depth. Um, like, if it's a partnership or an ownership as opposed to pickup play, I think that can also change how the negotiations go. Pickup play is exactly what you think it is. It's like, hey, you have a whip. Uh... I want to get whipped, so, like, how so do we do this? So they see what you've got? Yeah, they see okay. what you've got, and they're like, I'm interested. I don't really know, but, like, maybe give me a little taste of this. Right. And then maybe after that, they're like, I would like to be your partner in this kind of play. Let's negotiate what that's going to look like moving forward. And there are all different types of frequencies and timelines, and there are nuances on nuances. Right. So, 
So when you're doing splashing, as mm. well as the chase and capture, does it follow the same guidelines of negotiations? Yes. Okay. Everything. Everything. Everything in kink. Negotiations so always. It, and I, uh, it's heard it's more inclusive now mm. because it's a hard, harder language to talk about all the things you don't want to do sometimes so you don't know what you don't want to do. Is that the way you do negotiations well as well? Yeah. I do normally start off like, what are your hard and soft limits? Mm-hmm. What's like an absolute no? Right. What are you willing to try? And if I, like, have an idea of where I'm trying to go, I'll throw, okay, well, I can put it in your head. Like, when we was doing splashing, I was like, okay, you're going to have a bathing suit on. Can I put slime? Like, can I open that thing up and just pour a bucket of slime in there? Mm-hmm. Can I put it in your back? Can I kick you? Mm-hmm. I want to, like, just side kick you in your chest with a whole bunch of slime and just watch it. <laughs> Is yes. that okay? Yeah. <laughs> that brings us to the end of our interviews in this episode on kink and BDSM. We do have another episode related. Right. Forthcoming. Forthcoming. So look for that. And I think one point I just want to drive home, even though I think we drive home a ton in the interview. Right. Consent. Yeah. Consent. I love this whole communicative ability to consent and understand how to protect one another as a community, as well as knowing your own limits mm-hmm. and your own non limits. Well, we hope that people listening learned as much as we did. Right. And we are really grateful for all of our interviewees. Yes. And if those who are wondering and want to ask more questions, questions and try to find a community of their own. They did talk about FetLife. Apparently, that is the one to go to just to keep you guys safe. Right. And um, we we would love to hear from any listeners involved in this world or interested in becoming involved in this world. Maybe uh, I'm always just like, have you written anything about this world? Right. <laughs> um, please. Do you have a different take that we would love to know about? Absolutely. You can email us at stephmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at stephmomneverToldyou and on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Way to go, Andrew. And thanks to you for listening. Yeah. Stuff Mom Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. <laughs> 